The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Why is shame such a powerful emotion? How does it affect us mentally, physically, emotionally? I'm Nadia Davis. I'm a mom, author, attorney and kundalini yoga teacher who has experienced public shaming that brought me to my knees on this podcast i'm gonna tell you how i'm living the work taking shame out of the shadows i'll give you real life advice and skills to take away with you throughout your day you'll hear from powerful guests who have overcome trauma and emerged stronger than ever you too can ban the shame within and around you Join me. You are not alone. I despise shame because I believe that it is the strongest feeling that our mind creates that separates us from our true selves and from each other. And I learned the hard way that every day we have a choice between love or soul or truth or our mind, which is survivalist in nature and creates a multitude of thoughts that really are fear and judgment based. And that when I kind of get myself in a space that's right in the middle, that's what I call home. So I can build a spiritual connection and then build mindfulness. But somewhere right in the middle is like safety in my body with my mind, and that's home. And shame is such like the bedrock of our society and of so many different systems in place that I just feel like it's gone haywire and there's no one kind of putting it into words or bringing it out of the shadows. And so here, that's what we're going to do. We're going to bring shame out of the shadows and share tips of how we transform it into something that is more love-based and helpful and actually makes it something quite amazing. I shared in a couple episodes before this kind of boiler boilerplate things. One is an entire episode about my childhood and about how we grow up believing we are just bodies and our minds and how certain parts of me were put into place and that framework uh, 
led me to be a certain way. <laughs> and then into adulthood, how I kept those patterns up and re-traumatized myself and ended up becoming an addict that then re-traumatized myself and how uh, those same patterns just solidified themselves later. Another one leads to public shaming where I could not get to the shame within me after some years of public shaming. And then finally, the roadmap out of the darkness uh, that really incorporates a lot of things, trauma therapy, 12-step recovery, A Course in Miracles, and Kundalini Yoga. And so you'll hear references to that as, um, as we go along. Today is the very first interview, and it's extremely apropos that it happens to be my oldest son. It was him whom I had in mind when I wrote the memoir, Home is Within You, a memoir of recovery and redemption. And every chapter begins with Dear Son. And it was this like homage to, to seeking the knowing of the truth. And that's where infinite spirits, whole, divine, and complete, and that our mind separates us from that truth. And that if we know that, that we really can walk through anything, whether it be the public shaming, whether it be our shame within, um, whatever human struggles might come, we can kind of put human struggle into perspective. Now, to be able to do that, we have to have some knowledge of what is it, what is a bigger truth. And Diego came along in my life at a time after there were many losses. And in the book, I describe how when I found out that I was pregnant, it was as though this bridge, spiritual bridge, had been built between my body and my father's soul and others that had passed before me. And Diego had this like immediate spiritual effect on me. And then later in the book, I describe how at his baptism, um, in the book, I wrote a letter uh, that is on page 198, and it's long. I would read it, but it basically is about how um, I, it's a letter I wrote to him on the day of his baptism. Now, this is an Episcopalian church. Um, I practice a non-denominational uh practice. His father is agnostic, and Diego has yet to really say what he is, but he is absolutely a seeker of the truth, as what was said on that day of his baptism, which was using science and nature to describe it, to describe the unanswered questions that are all out there. And so today now, with him being 20 years old, and um, the book covering a lot of the years from when he was a baby up until in the middle of the book, uh, all the years when uh, he and I traveled a lot with his dad, um, uh, watching his awe with shadows and the sounds of dolphins and the Legos and 
construction and anything. It has now led him today to be studying astrophysics and calculus. And I don't think there's really anywhere best to start than having my son as the first interviewer, interviewee, but also to ask the questions that lead us to like the truth of the beginnings of it all. And so I'm super pleased that I get to share some of our cool experiences on our drive to and from uh, San Luis Obispo, hopefully here. And um, I just thank you so much, Diego. One of the other things I'll mention that hopefully these will get into is the harder stuff is this podcast and living the work will bring shame out of the shadows of what it's like to be a parent in trauma and addiction recovery. When we have dealt with our own shame and get out of our own stuff, it really is only then that we can ask our children what shame or embarrassment have they been carrying due to our unaddressed diseases. And um, those will flow as they go along. And Diego and I are at a point where uh, we're able to have those conversations. And um, for that, I'm really grateful. But I am going to start with this question. How do you believe the study of astrophysics and calculus is the seeking of the truth. So, hi. Um, <laughs> I, I will start with the fact that, in my opinion, the study of science and of the universe is inseparable to an extent from philosophy and from spirituality. Um, there is, I, I think everyone deserves the right to learn and explore about the things that they're interested in because inherently feeding one's curiosity, I think is the first step to beginning a process of healing for many people, kind of returning to that curious inner child that everyone has that sort of wonder that we have for how things work and why they work and getting really involved and passionate about something i think is everyone is something that everyone can relate to um so for starters i will speak to that but from there uh i think the study of astrophysics and of the big things that are out there in our universe, at least for me, uh, and maybe this can speak to other people's experiences as well, offers me a constant reminder of perspective. In that when I look at the grandeur of creation and at the stars and of our place in the universe, I'm humbled and I'm reminded that there's a lot more going on than just the little world in my head. And I think having that sort of bird's eye view can often take us out of the this uh, trap of our sort of negative, fearful, or judgmental emotions and remind us that we're all just 
here a phenomenon a little flying rock going through space and all of it really is just uh seeing and experiencing beauty through the universe's own eyes the are the eyes being us that's beautiful in kundalini yoga they talk about this the mantra the it's ekonkar satanam kartapurik and it's this formalized way of of saying what you just said where it's it's the observer and it's like from everything and nothing something moved and something was created and one of them was you and so it's these like four words that encapsulate everything you just said but you have your own way of 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 doing that and you also mentioned that that curiosity was the 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 key to beginning healing where do you think that drive to kind of define the original source in your way and then to seek to be curious derives from and how do you nurture that first of all i i think it's innate i think everyone has that to a certain extent however modern day life and the needs of modern society often stifle or uh downplay the value of that curiosity and that passion and instead it's more about success and numbers and uh stability rather Mm -hmm. than uh self-efficacy and so uh working from that to kind of focus on myself like like you were asking um I, I would say uh, it's difficult to nurture. It really requires hard work and hard introspection, I think, which is, you know, it's always a difficult first step to, to, to begin to do the work. But obviously, every small pace along the way is incredibly meaningful. But anyway, uh I think that uh, offering yourself space to be bored, to be curious, and to be uh, not busy is a good way to start. Uh, And then from there, you fill that time with things that you're interested in, that you find fulfilling, that you uh, get something more out of something deeper than just getting by. And I know, you know, I say that from a very privileged position, time is scarce for a lot of people. (laughs) So including myself at times, Mm -hmm. especially when I'm going to be going back to school. But uh, if, if you can carve a little bit of time out of your day, any bit of time, five, 10 minutes, 50, you know, however long, then I think, starting from there makes a big difference allowing yourself to stop slow down and enjoy being in this present moment and pick up something that you've 
been thinking about that you've been wanting to do, but you're not so sure. And like, oh, but like, you know, I have to schedule this and that. Just doing that, giving yourself time, respecting that that time is meaningful. You're not wasting it and just going for it, jumping into it. How do you think you and your generation have have been with with that, with like not feeling ashamed about taking time with self-care? You know, I mean, how do you, because I, um, I know you're pretty hard on yourself. I think it's it's kind of a, we're kind of at two ends of the extreme, at least from what I've observed. On one hand, I think the idea of self-care and the mantra of self-care has like spread and has become very, very popular popularized and it's a real thing, right? Mm-hmm. But to some extent, I feel like even self-care, it has been like capitalized on by society and by social expectations and things like Mm -hmm. that. It's Mm -hmm. like self-care to some people means having a morning routine where you wake up at 6 a.m. every day and make coffee or something Mm -hmm. like that. That act may not actually be relaxing for you. Right. You know what I mean? But Mm -hmm. it's it's quote unquote self-care because you're not working or you're not uh uh busy and it's how how you're defining it you're absolutely right it really depends on Um, how you define it and so i feel like there's a mismatch of definition there sometimes um but on the other extreme uh expectations for my generation keep getting higher and higher i think that's just partly related to the state of the world right now. I mean, I could go into this, but... um, (laughs) Well, and having carried COVID and when you guys were in high school and then now on top of the extra demands of the world. Yeah, so so COVID is a great example. COVID uh, has kind of... I don't want to use the word scarred, but scarred <laughs> my generation and in a few, you know a few age groups a little older and a little younger than me. I mean, it's affected everyone for sure, but especially during those crucial high school years or college years that I know a lot of my peers are going through. Having had that disrupted by COVID was a very big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's very true. COVID is a big part of that. Um, I also think to. Uh, and I'm sorry to mention politics, but the current political landscape of the world and the sort of immense amount of responsibility I think our generation feels towards mm-hmm. the state of the planet going into mm-hmm. the future or the stability of our government going into mm-hmm. the future. And I feel like our generation is empowered by that because we're united and we are uh we see ourselves as a force of good to preserve the planet, to uh, protect uh, the rights of people and the, the, to, to project a community of love and acceptance. But at the same time, that's a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, it's very much a double edged extreme. But now uh, getting to how you said, 
mm-hmm. how your your adoration of science and the astrophysics and all that, like it keep gives you that a perspective. So when all these things are happening on on extremes and the pressure on your generation, um, having that within you helps you somewhat with managing that, hopefully. Um, yet, and then we talked about self care and like actually like taking a nap or little things like that. Um, what I have observed in you and what I hope to nurture. And what I do believe is a blessing of of having been in recovery is how the science is overlapping with with a more of a way of life, like of living the work of of a mindfulness of that wider perspective. Um, do you know what I'm saying? Versus like planning in a nap every day and having more yeah. time, and so. So on that, and that is more like deeper social change, that if there's increased mindfulness or increased curiosity for a wider perspective, I do believe that's happened in your generation. Um, you know, I don't know if you do, but, uh, um, and, and having said that, um, how, how do you feel, um, calculus and astrophysics feeds that in you i i can name one thing to start with that has been really powerful and really impactful in my way of thinking and in the day-to-day kind of as you were talking about and that is the significance of practicing science in the way that that kind of changes your mind and how you think and approach the world. And that is through the scientific method. I think, uh, so sorry, I will back up. The scientific method is first and foremost a philosophy often we don't think about it as a philosophy because it's like the scientific method it's like it's like a whole like process like okay you have to collect evidence ask questions run experiments analyze your results avoid bias that sort of thing but really that extends further and you can apply these principles to everyday life in the sense that The scientific method teaches you, first and foremost, to ask questions, to be curious. And I think asking questions about our daily life and being curious and um, uh, sort of nurturing that that child within us, that curiosity, right, is a good place to start. So then from there... Rather than like just taking a fear or judgment-based thought as it it is. is. You like, question it, everything. Uh, yes. Right. Yeah. Got it. So from there, then the, the scientific method asks us, okay, let's analyze the evidence. Let's experiment. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's another powerful uh, tenet that we can apply from, from science to real life. You can experiment with your daily routine. Is change this things actually up. true? Um, yeah. Is this belief actually true? Go you do can some challenge research. your own beliefs. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. also true. You that's can... cognitive behavioral therapy. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. So, okay. uh, 
you can look at the evidence, you can observe, you can sit back and watch and, and be intuitive, be in touch with your surroundings, right? Mm. And so that's the other step. Then we get to analyzing, right? You want to look at your experiments, look at the evidence and come to conclusions, interpret the results of your experiment, right? And so this mm -hmm. says, be introspective, look deep within yourself, look also out to your peers, to your family, to your friends, society. Wider. Hmm. And uh, this time we're not observing, we are finding new paths to follow. We are exploring. We are uh, coming to new conclusions, as I said. <laughs> And so so open-mindedness. Yeah. And so, so okay. to really briefly resummarize, we want to ask questions, be observant and intuitive, challenge our own beliefs and look inwards, and then choose new paths to follow. And that's um, all part of the scientific method. Pretty much. I mean, I, I'm kind of wording it in a much less technical way and in a more philosophical way, but it really is mm -hmm. the same thing. And the principles can be applied anywhere to life. And so I, mm -hmm. I think kind of wrapping this all back in uh, mm -hmm. the act of practicing science, you know, on a day to day basis for me has really trained my mind to think in that way. And I think that's really beneficial in, in life. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. With situations. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Did you realize that? Until you it realized kind it right of is, yeah. I, I, I kind of have come to the realization gradually over the past two years, um, so, starting when so, I first got to college. So, and how would you capsulize it? So, how the act of practicing science in these steps, that you're seeing how it helps you really in mindfulness or in life situations. Mm -hmm. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Kind yeah. Of? That's, okay. that's definitely. Uh -huh. And ultimately, do you think it will help you to see when your mind is in survivalist mode and acting yeah. in fear, fear and judgment? Most of our thoughts are fear and judgment. Mm hmm. And, and, so, it, and that's where yes. shame is born. That's where shame and shaming is born. And that will take you out of the curiosity, yes. out of the seeking of the experimentation. Shame will stop you. Mm -hmm. And again, it always starts with a question or with okay. an observation. You want to, when those thoughts come to mind, at least for me, question them. Ask, why am I feeling this way? And often... That first step on its own is all you need to go down a completely different path. Yeah, the that's moment great. you you stop and you think and you ask why why am I feeling this way? What is what is happening? How does my body feel? Right? How am I reacting? Am I going to react or am I going to mm -hmm. proact? Right? right. Mm -hmm. And I think the first step is definitely the most powerful. Uh, you know analyzing observing experimenting are also important and then coming to new conclusions thinking in different ways also important mm -hmm. but i think all that is a little more abstract and it, it's a lot easier to relate to asking questions observing pausing for a moment i think that's a lot more and it further Sorry, that prevents <laughs> no it makes sense because the first step in like advocating for love and our spirit is 
that self-compassion is that introspection, but you, you, you pointed out what this is also preventing in transforming shame into power is it's preventing the projection of fear and judgment and how we are more conscientious of our response. And that's a whole nother empowering thing because when we start projecting and not being aware of our responses, whether it's the scientific method or a mindfulness practice, it's like that's when it added layers, layer upon layer upon layers put on what people are going through yes. with a struggle and, and they're shaming and they can't even get to the work within. And so having the scientific method approach is very cool. It's a lot like CBT. Have you heard of that? Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So, okay. You uh, were describing calculus to me one time and um, and you eloquently described what you think it is. And I do believe, after hearing you describe it, that it is absolutely one way of realizing how far our minds are from getting to the truth. That that um, so so calculus. What I meant is that our minds create these fears and judgments. Yet the truth is this unanswered question out in the universe. But calculus basically explains in a complicated way the elegant. You said. I, I, Say it. I, I think that's kind of a way to put it. Uh, it, it explains in a specific... I would replace the word complicated with specific. Okay, so yeah. define calculus. This is so cliche, but the language <laughs> of the universe... It's not cliche. I, I don't really have another way to think about it than that. So it's a uh, pattern of how the universe is evolving and going, and it has a rhythm. And what is that energy? Like, what... So... What, sorry. It, like, what is that energy? And isn't whatever is doing that, like, the only truth, and everything else is interpretation? There's a lot of truths in life that are personal in the sense that one truth for one person may not be the same truth for another. And so I don't want to downplay that in saying that there's only this larger truth, right? Everyone has their own truths and they are just as meaningful as the universally accepted ones. Um, But working off from that, calculus was created for physics, not the other way around. It wasn't someone playing with numbers. It was someone looking up, observing the world around them and being like, how do I describe this? Specifically, Isaac Newton. That curious. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think the foundation is really important to then understanding what calculus is it was created to understand and to replicate to represent the real world and the moment you start learning it to the moment you finish learning it 
calculus it, it sort of shines the the real world applications people always like make fun of math for being like oh what am i ever going to use the pythagorean theorem in real life or whatever <laughs> and totally super like very valid but once you learn calculus you're like wait i actually can use this like this actually is practical to how i think and how i live life and it is and that's what's amazing about it and it was created yeah. for that purpose and so yeah that's that's all i have to say but when we're talking about choosing love over fear and judgment and our mind science your adoration for using calculus to explain the life patterns and all of that like it 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 can help us to to observe how our mind separates us right uh, from uh, I, from each other and from the truth in in because there is only one truth and that is how everything started and this formula. I'm sorry. I know I'm getting out there, but for you, the curiosity of calculus and the patterns give you a wider perspective to kind of put your mind in check. Is that's a better way yeah, of putting it? Yeah, okay. definitely. So the practice of calculus is just like a specific example of how, the practice of science has brought in a different way of thinking in life. And then from that different way of thinking, I'm able to take myself out of my head more often, look at things from a different perspective. Definitely. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. And, and, and the way that calculus does that is more of a, in a relatable way than I would say in astrophysics or, phys you know, astronomy, all these big out there things calculus could describe uh your your work commute to and from home along a freeway or something as simple as uh a basketball going into a hoop or something like that and so there's all these mundane reminders that the world works in this beautiful and elegant way that it kind of takes you out of whatever is clouding your thoughts or in your head. Okay. And you're, you're reminded of the fact that all of this is Flowing. pretty cool, pretty beautiful. You know, life is, is, uh, complex and elegant. And, and so it's flowing. Ever changing. And so when this, yeah. Yeah. And versus if there's like an immediate emotion that is, trying to change how you perceive your worth um, that's so like personalized and in you just having some broader knowledge of the pattern of life can balance some of that out. I, I wouldn't say it's the keystone no. to like mindfulness, but it's, it's, it's a, not, it's a nice reminder. It's an easy, okay. it's like if you were to wear glasses Mm -hmm. all the time and you walk around <laughs> reminded of the fact that you're wearing glasses and without <laughs> them you wouldn't be able to see i, I, I don't it. really know if that's an exact like that's a like great thing, analogy but yeah calculus is like wearing glasses and so it's not <laughs> it's not the key to looking within but it certainly right. is a great reminder it right. certainly that's is a great, great way to to pull yourself out of whatever's going on in your head and 
remind yourself of the philosophy that's keeping you mindful and open-minded. And that means the same thing. Sorry. That's great but, though. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause some people use a mantra and I have this big band shame tip yeah, sheet. And some, some people again, use a daily practice. Some people everyone use has their, their own love truth. of study. Right. Yeah. No, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, so Diego and I had a conversation earlier and um, I was explaining what the podcast is about and how it's, you know, explaining why is shame such a powerful emotion? How does it affect us mentally, physically, emotionally? And um, do we as parents really ask our kids if, if and when they or what we can do about the fact that they may carry shame or embarrassment as a result of our own diseases and our own, you know, misguided ways of handling pain. That's a loaded thing to say right now, but that's the stuff we're going to talk about here. And I asked Diego, I said, like, you know, can you think of, I'm sure, you know, a, a moment or something that is undone work on my end? That now, mind you, again, I have to be out of my my own shame and self, and out of self pity, and be and able to sit in a place of love for self, in a place looking lovingly outwards without fear and judgment, and and to say, where can I own my part so that a load on you is is a little bit lighter for an embarrassing moment that you had to witness, and. And he shared with me that maybe there would be one situation of a set of parents that he didn't know whether I had spoken with them or not. And and um, that's the kind of conversations that, that people don't talk about that can grab and get that weirdness of shame that separates us and out of the dark and... Diego, if you wanted to share a little bit more on that, it would be great. But when things like that aren't talked about, for those of us that are parents in recovery and trying to do our best and flip it so we're using things we've learned to empower the younger generation, um, I believe it's cool to share. And so Diego was being brutally honest with me, and you can be so now. So he shared with me um, that he wanted to ensure that I had had the difficult conversation with a set of parents of his friends. And um, and I had, but I'm making sure that it was enough. And that they're my friends is, uh, in my humble opinion, a way to prevent generational trauma. And for those of us that are blessed at this point in our recovery um, as parents to lift the load a little on the ones after us and do things better than our parents did. Um, If you have any other insight or advice, Diego, it's all yours. I I think um, for starters to speak to you personally in this moment you're doing a great job it's difficult work but 
most people haven't even started. From what I hear with peers and friends and uh, family. So, you know, being at this point on its own is already a great privilege to have. And I'm immensely grateful. Wow. Yeah. Um, sorry. But, but, That's why I wrote this book, people. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. Thank you so much. Of course, Mom. Um, the, the blessings are, are now, today. Yeah, but to uh, um, kind of bounce off of that, It's, uh, you know, doing the work doesn't make it any easier. Um, and I, I personally feel like there will never be a point where it is ever truly done, right? But that is just part of life, part of the everyday thing. And as long as you're not caught up in your head and you're reminding yourself of the fact that you know no one is your enemy no one is my enemy then i you know i i think we can go far with that it's it's a con it's again wow. it doesn't make it any easier but at least that's a saying i like to tell myself is that no one is my enemy right nobody truly hates another person And usually, if it looks like they do, that's self-projection. It's coming from something within. Exactly. And so even if you don't get the outcome you want, even if you're hurt by what people say or what people do, you know that is not what they mean. You told me something really powerful that I still uh, keep close to myself a long time ago, which was that... Everything anyone ever does is either an act of love or a call out for love. And I think that combined with the idea that no one is anyone's enemy, no one is my enemy, are two really powerful ways of looking at life. Everyone is stuck up in their own heads and completely self-absorbed, for better or for worse. And nothing is ever personal. Not truly. It's beautiful, son. And when we choose love over fear and judgment, we can stay in that middle space connected to all the unknown and then also whatever's going on in our mind and just grounded right there in that home. And I can't thank you enough for your words, Diego. Again, I, I just want to say like, I'm, you know, speaking from my soapbox here or whatever, <laughs> but like, this is not saying, uh, 
be this way perfectly all the time. Mm, no. In fact, more often than not, like 90% of the time, maybe 100% of the time, there is always something, something that we're working on, something that is fearful or judgmental or whatever mm -hmm. within our heads that is occupying us. That is inevitable. It's part of the human experience. But recognizing it and working on it is the part that matters. It's not whether it's there or not. Exactly. It always will be there. It's the honesty yeah. and the openness. Because that's the other thing. In order to get there to the middle, you have to accept that you're not going to always be there in the middle. Except, and most people will fight that. And that's why people fight mindfulness. It's like, I have to shut it all off or I have to be all connected here or it has to be this or that. And I, that is so good to hear you say that. It's a, it's the process. But it becomes, uh, it's in the beginning of the book. It becomes a, a, a process of unfolding and of, please stay here with me, dear son, knowing the one and only truth within. We are infinite beings of love, light, and warmth that nothing can change or hide. It is here, dear son, where we first met and will forever hold hands in time. And like in that space, it's it's not reacting as much. Again, there will always be times when we react and we lash out and we forget, we, you know, we act in a way that is disingenuous to ourselves, right? But, or others. Yeah. Usually both. But... Um, the process, because it's never ending, that doesn't mean that it's meaningless. It is the act of moving, the act of walking those steps, even if it's a never-ending staircase, that makes it all better, makes it all worth it. And the only way that we could do that is if we prevent any of the negative and fear and judgment from becoming shame, because then it goes into the darkness and the lost opportunity for the light and learnings is gone. And that's why it's bringing those uncomfortable feelings out of the shadows so that we can do just that. And when there is those moments of reaction, do just what you said and keep going forward, but not letting it pull us down into the dark. Exactly. Your uncle Mark's song, As Big As Love, is the intro and after a song for this podcast. I think that's and, very fitting. And the main line is no shadow is as big as love. And uh, we will have you do the math on that next time. <laughs> 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 Thank you everybody for being here. Um, be sure to get your free band shame tip sheet on the website, www.nadia.davis.com. 20% discount on Home is Within You Now at IndieBound.org. And please join me next time um, with Diego and with Priya Jane and others. And please support this podcast. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Of a flame that never dies. You are not alone. If you are dealing with shame and trauma, 
please reach out to me through my website, nadia-davis.com. You can get a free band shame tip sheet and find out about upcoming events. I'd love it if you picked up my book, Home is Within You, wherever books are sold. If you like this podcast, please tell a friend, leave a review, and make sure to follow me on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sending warm hugs. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.